0: Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Verse 11 For behold, the winter is past, and the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs, and the vines. Are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. In this passage, springtime, uh, it, we we are reminded of, of of several things. First, you might write down the season of love. There's a season of love. When you think of the winter time, it's dreary. It's cold. It's wet. And then you you think of springtime. Everything's budding and and alive. And the birds are singing and and chirping, and, and you know, love is just awakening all your senses, your sight, and the smell of the flowers, and the um, allergens in the air, and all of the different things are all coming about. And it's I, I, when I think of springtime, one of the my, my particularly with this passage makes me reminds me of being in college. And uh, springtime comes along, and I remember being at East Tennessee State University. I remember being springtime, and so you hit springtime in college, and I'm sure it's probably worse now. But young guys, okay, um, a lot of testosterone and, you know, young men, right, and you, you college campus, winter, everything, bundled up, whatever, and then it starts to warm up a little bit, and um, it's like, you know, there's just not a lot of modesty on campus, if I could just say it that way. There's just not a lot of modesty among the girls. I don't know why that is, but... But it's springtime, and you're walking on campus, and you're trying to, you know, keep your focus on things above, not things below, you know. And so, you know, it's, and it's like everywhere you walk. You just have, okay, I can't walk that way, but look at the trees, look at the, you know, and you're, that, and so I thought, you know, I just need to get along with God, and I need some, some time to work. So I grabbed my Bible after a couple classes, and I went over to the VA, and um, got a towel out, sat down, and I'm reading the Word, and I'm just getting along with God, and having some great time. And the next thing I know, I I, I can hardly concentrate. because behind me, are, like, there's a squirrel, a couple squirrels, um, one squirrel chasing another squirrel. I mean, and you know when squirrels are running, I mean, they're just clawing on the, you know, how they can run so fast around a tree, I don't know, with the G-forces of not flying off, I don't understand it, but they're chasing <laughs> after, other so squirrels everywhere chasing after, and I'm like, good night, I mean, what is going on here? And then, then, then if that's not enough, there's a, there's a group of, of ducks, okay, there's a couple mallard ducks chasing a female mallard duck, up And they're just, you know, at the point where I'm like, oh, I need to intervene on this. I mean, what is it like? like yeah, the girl's running from you. Leave her alone. Leave her alone. And I, I didn't know whether to shoo them away or what. I mean, she clearly, she was not into them. You know, they weren't getting it. They just kept chasing her. I, and it was springtime. And that's what's going on in springtime. Everything's just, it's crazy. And and, and in this passage, that's what you have. There's a, there's a season, which is important. We encourage uh, couples. Um, I've never been, never been a fan of long uh, engagements. I make, it makes no sense to be engaged for any more than six months. I mean, you need long enough to plan a wedding, and that's it. And, and you can plan a wedding in six or less months. But dating for a while is fine. Now, you got couples be <laughs> like dating for a month and engaged for like four years. That makes no sense, right? It just doesn't make sense. Uh, but I, I would encourage this, and so those of you that are single or got kids and you're thinking about how do I raise these things, one of the things is to think through four seasons. It's great to observe and to watch somebody through four seasons. Watch them through the winter. Okay, watch them through the spring, watch them through the summer, watch them through the fall, watch them through We all are great about putting our best foot forward for a season, but when you go through four seasons and you can kind of see them through different seasons and
1: different moods and different it's ideal. And it doesn't have to be literally twelve months, it might be longer than it. But the point is. To give
0: enough time where you're not jumping in too deep emotionally and certainly physically where you can allow some time to be able to observe what they're like in different seasons. Create the space to where you're just, that's where courtship is a huge critical thing to shift away from the, the pattern of dating, breakup, uh, you know, making a lot of moral mistakes. You, you date, and then you kind of get sick of that person, then you break up and you look for another person to get your needs met and whatever and then um, insecurities filled and whatever and then you break up and then you end up and we have this pattern of divorce and remarriage that we practice in dating and it carries over into marriages and that's not a good thing, but in a courtship environment you're, you're, you're uh, slowly slowly getting to know the person, you're hanging out in the context of families and the body of Christ and as you're doing that you're observing them through seasons There comes a point where, uh, and you're being careful not to arouse or awaken love until she pleases, which is a warning that we have twice, once in verse 7 and once in chapter 5, verse uh, 3, I'm sorry, 3, verse 5. And arouse your awakening love until she pleases, allowing love to develop in its appropriate time, and it's an appropriate season. And here, in this context, there's a season for love, and it's springtime. Love is awakening. And then in verse 14. He says to his bride-to-be, Oh, my dove, in the cleft of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, or the steep pathway, let me see your face and let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet, and your face is lovely. What's what's going on here? Well, a dove is a delicate creature, a delicate creature, and uh, skittish, and is protecting itself in a uh, the 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 cleft of the rock. Okay, so it's in a safe place, away from harm, away from um, you know danger, and he is beckoning her, and he's saying, "You can come out." Now we know in the previous verses a little bit he, she's calling him, uh, she's she's referring to the shepherd, or her, her the bridegroom as her. Uh, apple tree, that he is a provider, he's a protector, he provides protection and provision for, and so he has earned the right to say, come my dove, out of the left of the right. And she feels the freedom to be able to come forward and to be more vulnerable with him, which is another issue to think about. The, the, The second point here is the safety of love. Not only do we have the season of love, we also have the safety of real love, unconditional love. Love uh, the, the key is to, to allow trust to grow. Vulnerability is earned and it is granted, and it should never be forced or demanded. True vulnerability is something that is to be earned and it is to be granted, gifted to another person. It cannot be forced and it should not be commanded. Okay, ladies, uh, single ladies, all the single ladies, all the single, all right. if you need to be careful to not come out of the cleft of the rock too quick. Okay, allow yourself, wait to, for a guy that is a God-honored, godly man that you can observe his character, his integrity and he uh, has the right to, allow, to to invite you to be uh, more honest into that relationship and you feel the freedom because he has earned the right in the way he has treated you with respect, with dignity, with worth, with value. Men, that would you be that kind of guy? You need to be that kind of guy, single man. Need to be that kind of guy, and in our marriages, and there's there's even a there's even a truth that carries over into marriage. In that, uh, sometimes our marriage we, we tend to default into roles where we have a butler and we have a maid living in the same house, and we play our roles, and we got you know you know we got the the caregiver nurturer or the provider protector or whatever. But there's there's the love relationship has gone away, and to get that back, we need to earn the right again to uh, to pursue our spouse, for uh, vulnerability to be earned and granted again if we have lost that. But she, but he doesn't demand that, and she feels the freedom to be able to give that. He invites her to be more vulnerable. Let me see your face, and let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet, and your face is lovely. Another side note I'll throw on this that's um, important to think about. There's different levels of relationships. There's kind of the the, the surface level of you pass somebody on an elevator on the street or wherever, you know, hang up, not good. You know, in the store down the aisle in Walmart, Kroger, whatever, you know. Hey, you know, I'm doing good. Man. Okay, that's level one. It's just kind of grant, you know, how high you can get, you know, just
1: formalities. And then you get to another level
0: where, hey, you know, I'm doing all right. How you doing? It's good to see you again. You know, right, You might know the first names and you talk a little more about. Then there's kind of a third level of, hey, you know, man, I'm not doing good. I just, I, honestly, it's been a tough week. Will you pray for me? Yeah, I'll pray for you. Man, it's just been... Really difficult life is, is tough, and as a third level. And then there's a kind of a fourth level where it's just all open and bare. How you doing? No, I'm feeling horrible. And honestly, really, really truly, and there's no filter. You, there, there's no filter on what you share. You feel like that person? You trust them? You can share anything you want, and vice versa. And what what is a problem? So many times is we have mistaken um, who it's appropriate to have that deep level of friendship. With yeah, I, I don't. As a habit, I don't. Janet, same way, we don't go to a third level, certainly a fourth level, obviously, with uh, people that are with with the opposite sex. Okay, so I'm I'm not gonna uh, talk to another lady and share with them how's your marriage going. I mean, you not know, Janet is just driving me crazy. I mean, she just makes me so mad. I mean, you know, number one, I don't ever say that because it's usually not that way. It's usually, Janet is the ones like you know, David's driving. You know, usually it's the opposite. But but if if hypothetically there's a reason for her to, you know, make me frustrated, whatever, I'm not going to talk to another woman like that. I'm not going to do that. It's none of their business, and I don't want to open up a um, vulnerability in our marriage to somebody else that um, the enemy could use to exploit the gap, the hole there in the fence. You see what I'm saying? And so I, it's not my, I don't talk to other women about that and vice versa. For that matter, if if I'm as a pastor counseling a lady for that matter, uh, Janet is either there or knows about it, and uh, and she's in the conversation. She knows what's happening. I don't I don't meet with women alone, and then you know. So what do you do? Ah, appointments, different things, whatever. And Then you know, I've had this except I, I knew of a pastor that um, he, uh, he he had a prayer time with a, a single lady, met once a week. They would. It was always interestingly enough around the time that the um, close to when the office was closing, and everybody's kind of leaving. And he would meet with her, and they, had, they were prayer partners, and they would pray together. Um, and he was just trying to get encouragement to her and whatever. What, what in the world was he thinking? And well, by the way, it didn't end well there. Um, he's no longer pastoring. Uh, another lady, uh, another uh, pastor that was um, counseling a couple. And in this situation, I think he was, um, you know, motives were good. But he was counseling this couple. And um, the guy was just, uh, he was just thick headed knuckle headed just idiot. And he has this beautiful, godly, wonderful wife who loves him and he's just being dumb. Okay? And so the pastor's want to wake him up and he's like, you know, God has blessed you. You're not saved. God has blessed you with a wonderful, beautiful, godly wife. Wake up! And, and, and through that counseling situation, what came out of that is she heard words that she hasn't heard from her husband in a long time. God, I'm a And it began to open up some affections in her heart. And she began to position herself in his pathway. And she began to put herself in different places where she didn't know. Hey, Pastor, could you pray for me? And said, well, my husband's still not. Well, could you just pray for our family? Well, could you just. Is there anything I can help around the church? If I can? I? And she started putting herself in positions. And there was a vulnerability that the enemy saw and exploited. And this great, godly man lost his ministry, lost a lot of credibility, and a lot of people. Were wounded because eventually that ended up led into affair. You don't fall into immorality. You don't fall into an affair by accident, uh, and it's not an extreme thing. Somebody just went didn't wake up one day and go, "You know what? I, for 15 minutes uh, of of whatever, I, I'm gonna just I'm gonna blow my marriage and I'm just gonna blow my family and I'm blow my minister, blow my wife. I'm just gonna blow it all away for just you know just a flippant moment of passion. I mean, I, I think I'll do that today. I don't know. What do you got going on today? That's what I think I'll. To destroy. Well, it, it doesn't happen that way. It, it's the beginning of just little steps of unrepentance, little steps of hiding sin, little steps. And, and a little bit leads to a little more, leads to a little more. Little, and, and next thing you know, there's huge vulnerability. We have to fight with everything in us to have godly, healthy marriages. Uh, Tony Evans, Dr. Tony Evans, who has a book on marriage that's come out recently. If you go to Books on the Family website, they've got some good stuff on there. Love Tony Evans. Evans, but he says this uh, two most powerful questions any person, any married person, can regularly ask. And this is true for all of us, but but this is true, especially in marriage. The first one is, How can I serve you today? How can I serve you today? You need to regularly ask your spouse that. How can I serve you today? Uh, kids, you would be wise to learn to ask this to your parents Mom, Dad, how can I serve you today? If I mean, kids are like, "What? Wait, wait, wait! I don't know if you understand how this." Is. I'm a kid. Come on, earth What are you doing? <laughs> Parents supposed to serve me? No. If you know Jesus, if you're old enough that you've confessed your faith and trust in Christ and He is the Savior of your life and He's your Master your Lord and He's on the throne of your life, okay? If Jesus is on the throne of your life, then you will serve as Jesus served. The greatest is not the one who's leading. The greatest one is washing feet. You want to be the greatest in your house? Stop trying to to demand of your parents that everything's going to be the way you want. And begin to serve your parents. So kids, this is appropriate for you too. How can I serve you? But, but husbands, wife, How can I serve you today? Secondly, how can I pray for you today? How can I pray for you today? What, what can I pray for you about? What's, what's going on? That nothing uh, ministers to Janet more than when I will pray for her. Um... Walking out the door, or late at night, or whatever point she's overwhelmed, life's crazy, everything's, uh, you know, the pressures of all the responsibilities that are on her shoulders. And for me to say, I'm, just, I'm praying for you. She'll so text me through the day, different time. Pray for me. Pray for me that I don't for all the children. Pray for me that I don't, you know, take them to the bus. So pray for me that I don't, whatever, you know. There's and and it's encouraging for her to know that I am praying for her. How can I pray for you today? The safety of love, vulnerability, being earned, being granted. Create a space where there's a trust, there's a commitment, and, and you're fighting for your marriage together. The, the third part of this is the safeguard of love. And this is where the fences get in, the safeguard of love. Verse 15 says, catch the foxes for us. The little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our, vine, our vineyards are in blossom." What's he talking about? Well, what was going on is foxes would come into the vineyard and they would, uh, as everything's kind of blossoming, they would eat the the blossoms. They smelled nice. They smelled good. They'd eat the blossoms. And then the the fruit would never come uh, on the vine. Okay? Blossoms go. There's not going to be fruit. You pick all the flowers off. No fruit. And so what he's saying is we need to catch the foxes. Foxes are sneaking in. Foxes are sly, you know. There, there's a lot of dangers and vulnerabilities uh, that, that we have in our marriages in our lives that seem insignificant. They they don't seem like they're really a big deal. Okay, they might seem cute and fuzzy, and you know, um, and and uh, you know, and for that matter, they don't make any noise. I mean, what sound does a fox make? You know, what does a fox say? Right? There's a song about that thing. Yeah. You know, if you're thinking they're, 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 they're sly they're dis- but they're also kind of deceptive and just sneaky and, what, and, and they're going and they're stealing the blossoms right and so that is a dangerous a problem a vulnerability. So what do you do about the fox we need to catch the foxes we need to catch them identify them and catch them we need to build fences around and this is where fences come in we need fences we need walls and what happens in most of our lives the fences that we put often in our lives is like a, just a yellow line on the ground here's what you, you're not supposed to do these things but it's really easy, just like this cord on the ground. can just step over it, right? And I need fences a little bit bigger than that, right? I, we need—we don't need something that's just, a, oh, let's put a hedge about five high right there. And we just, you know, we can get over that one when we want to. And then go back, oh, let's look and come back over here. Yeah, I'm, I'm inside the boundaries. You know, we, we need walls. We need protections. I don't trust myself. I don't trust you. You don't need to trust me. We need fences. We need to be real careful. And that's where we got to be careful what we share with the opposite sex. We need to be careful what we're putting into our minds, what we're opening up in our lives. If you don't need to have a cell phone, children, kids, parents, with kids, if they don't need to have the World Wide Web in their pocket, maybe they don't need to have the World Wide Web in their pocket. I mean, is it that bad? So they're not on Instagram. So they don't have Snapchat. What are they going to do? Well, why don't we switch to so the little older... And think about the consequences. Where's a the teenager. They just can't. Uh, first, where, where did that come from? Well, they're an adolescent. Where teenagers and adolesc- adolescents come from? Where, that, where is that terminology At what point do we treat a 16 year old like a child and give them the keys to a car that they can drive while they text and they can kill people, and yet we're going to put them in juvenile court and give them probation? Because they were too stupid and immature to know how to handle the responsibilities of a cell phone in a giant car and they killed somebody, and we're gonna go, oh, they, you know, they're, they're just they should have done that, they, but they're too young. We don't wanna we don't wanna ruin the rest of their life because they were too immature. If they're too immature to handle the responsibility of those devices, then maybe they shouldn't be behind. Them. Why do we listen to the world that tells us to hypersexualize our children with Panties that have little things about princess and and sexy and cutie, whatever like that. And they're like nine years old. Okay, and yet then we're saying, you know, you really shouldn't get married before 30. I mean, you just need to live your life. That makes a lot of sense. It really does. Is it not stupid? Do you not realize they're trying to get your money? And youth, teenagers, college students, they want you to stay single as long as you can. Do whatever you want and spend your money. Do not get married and take upon yourself responsibilities like having to provide for a family and being mature and, uh, you know, having children and having anything to do. It. I know all that stuff to tie you and distract you because then you're going to have to spend your money on your family and your kids and buying a house and building stuff and, you know, a new lawnmower and, you know, uh, whatever stuff for that for the house. Stay single. Live in your parents' basement and just spend all your money on iTunes and different things and buying the Techno- technological devices and clothes and all that stuff, do that. Watch all the movies and the TV and all that stuff, because it's so wholesome and wonderful. I mean, all of the stuff out there, there's nothing out of it that has a bad, unbiblical worldview, right? It's We're all just ingesting tons of stuff that's edifying and encouraging and reinforcing the things that we teach at home through the Word, right? It's incredible sarcasm, I hope you got that and all of that. Or maybe we should start taking 12 and 13-year-olds and going, okay, uh, Son, you have some changes going on in your life. And that is indicative of being a young man. And as a young man, you have some responsibilities and we have some expectations on you as a young man that we didn't have on you last year or two years ago. Young ladies, you have some. Change is happening. You're a young lady now, and so we have some expectations on you. We want to help you mature into being a young adult that lives for God's glory. Do not spend your life invested in things that are eternal and build some fences so that you don't allow foxes to devour every blossom in the beautiful garden God has blessed you with so that one day when you get to the point where God brings the right person into your life and you... You are pursuing them towards marriage, or they're pursuing you, and you want to get married. That you're going, you know what? I want to get married. I'm so excited. It's everything, but you know, I don't really have a lot out in the garden. It's really not. I mean, I really, really not. I'm really not taking care of it very well. And then you've got a marriage full of time to work through a whole lot. You know, it's hard enough in marriage. There's enough baggage we all get from our dysfunctional families to throw on it. All the sexual guilt and mistakes and other junk that we do. And rest assured, you will have to work through. The things you do, what you sow, you will absolutely reap. You will reap it. And it doesn't mean that God can't restore. And it doesn't mean that you can't begin to rebuild the garden. It doesn't mean that there's not grace. It doesn't mean that God can't restore, as the prophet said, the years that the locust had eaten away. But it does mean that you're setting yourself up for a far longer road of difficulty. And if you would just build some fences... And catch some foxes, it would be a lot better. It'd be a lot better. And parents, so please stop telling your kids, don't do this and don't do that. you get the teenagers, if you get sitting down with them and explaining and talking through it, it'd be so much more helpful if we understood that that man, there, there's a guard that's worth protecting. And it's not mom and dad's reputation that we're worried about, it's their hearts. Guard their hearts. It's the wellspring of life. Get over your reputation, mom okay? and dad. guard your kids' hearts. And if your kids knew that you cared about the heart or you cared about the reputation, maybe they'd listen. Build some fences. Two images there. Uh, one is of the fence, building fences. Another one to think about. Uh, love is referred to as uh,
1: more uh, like a jealous fire.
0: Like a jealous fire. And that's an image. I want to pull into this just to think about the implications of that. What happens is, uh, sexual involvement, be it uh, mentally, pornography, and all that stuff, or physically, prematurely, which again, I gave you statistics several weeks ago where millennials now, statistically research project, that, that millennials today have sex before the first date. And so instead of waiting till the third date, which they should wait till you get married, but, um, but statistically in the past, evidently you'd say, you know, well, you know, usually third, fourth date, that would be the point where you would be willing to do that with somebody. But now it's like before you even get your name, you kind of know what's going on, and this is just even compatibility. And so they jump into the bed before they've ever had a conversation, really, and know the person, what their story is. At what point do we not just go, maybe that's probably not going to work. It's not the best thing to do. Nonetheless, what that is, is like taking a fire and taking a bunch of lighter fluid and just walking over to the fire and just going. And just woof! I mean it was amazing look at that child bonfire whoa that is going on and then it's just burnt off I read all your hair singed your hair on your arms burnt off and then after just a couple seconds you're kicking logs and stuff and there's nothing there Gotta have something much better than that for us fire's not bad do you know that God created fire Literally, figuratively. Uh, and it's not a bad thing. As long as in the, it's in the right context. Okay, you know, you might be a little chilly right now in the rim. Okay, so what, why don't we just build a fire here? Why don't we just take our projector down because it doesn't work and we'll light it on fire. And then, <laughs> then we'll grab some other things and we'll just build a fire. We'll just... We'll grab a speaker, and we'll grab the sound, and we'll we just get some things. we got a bunch of pallets and We'll get those down, because we'll be done with the series. We'll, do some of the, we'll just build a bonfire right here, and it'd be awesome. I mean, people do bonfires outside, but how cool would it be to have a bonfire here while we're meeting and worshiping? Wouldn't that be cool? No. It wouldn't be cool, because it would eventually spread, and then we would all die, okay? And that would not be good, because fire is not good when it's not in the right context. But But how many of you like a nice fire in your home in the fireplace? Huh? How many? You like that? You make that? A little hot chocolate? A little coffee? A little fireplace going? Uh huh. That's nice. It's nice. Why? Because, because it's got protections around it. Because it has uh, it has bricks and mortar and you know, iron and different, different things that are not flammable, okay? And it's there and, it, and in the right context, fire, beautiful, adds warmth to the home. It adds some joy, and it just it adds just kind of a, a warmth and just a feeling of happiness and just a It's a wonderful, and there's kind of a peace that comes over. It's in the right context, it can be a wonderful attitude, it can be a wonderful thing. It's never the center of the universe, but it's a wonderful thing to have in your home. It's wonderful to be part of your marriage. But when we approach fire and we take it and we take it out of the context God created it to flourish in and to be helpful in and to be productive in, and we, we build it in other places, it will burn your house down. It will burn your life down young people understand that when we're not putting walls up and we're not careful, you got to be real careful. It's just like throwing lighter fluid on a fire. Instead of building with God's timing, His right timing, a solid, nice fire with some strong embers that will burn for a long time. And put some right logs on it. Once you've built that thing, you have a good foundation. Now you can put some big logs. That's another thing. You build a fire. You don't put, take two giant logs, put them down, and then squirt lighter fluid and expect it you've got to get some smosh, and it starts to build and then you, then you put on some bigger logs and you, you build that thing up once you have the right foundation then that thing will burn and be sustaining and it's really good but it has to be in the right context verse 16 my beloved is mine and I am his he graces among the lilies until the day breeze and the shadows flee turn my beloved and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the cleft mountains or some of your translations might say the mountains of Bethar. And let me just say, there's not a geographic location in Israel that any scholar has been able to find for the mountains of Bether. Literally, the Cleft Mountains is the mountains of separation. You can think about that. Turn and be like, this is the young lady talking to her man. Be like a gazelle, a young stag. And then verse uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 Quite frankly, it's kind of a very confusing passage because they're about to get married. And what this is, some, there's two ways of interpreting it. One is that um, she is having kind of a dream of she's about to get married and she's excited about this. And so shes he has earned the right and the respect for her to be vulnerable with her life and to come forward out of the shadows. And so because of that, um, she wants to give herself to her husband. There's a desire there and a desire that she really wants to freely give herself. And she desires him because he's earned the right. He's a protector, a provider. He's been careful with her. He's been gentle with her. He's, he's allowed her to come out of the cleft of the rock in her timing as God allows and has not, as, as not thrown letter fluid on the relationship. Okay? And because of all of those things, she has these great desires, and that could be one interpretation, and the other one that I think is probably more plausible, it's a little more complex, but that this is a view of her having anxiety because she's been a pure young lady. That she's nervous about getting married and all that that entails, uh, physically, and so because of that she's thinking about that in in terms of there's a there's this there's this tension there's a desire to give herself to her husband she's excited about that but then and there's a searching after him but then there's an apprehension and there's some watchmen she goes out in the streets and she's looking for him who her soul desires and loves and the watchman found me. And they went about in the city. Have you seen whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. And then it refers to coming back to the place where my mother conceived me. And the the apprehension there, I mean, the the lesson there is that the watchman is her purity. and, And those that have protected her purity. The walls that have been in her life by her convictions, by her family, by that have been a protection for her to, to keep the purity of the garden. And though she's apprehensive and a little bit nervous and anxious, she draws strength from her mom and her relationship with her mom and knowing that her mom has gone down this path. And she's seen the model of her parents in their marriage. And because that's been a godly marriage, well, she can draw strength from that, knowing there's other women, that older women that can come beside her, specifically her mother in this context, but that can be an encouragement to her, to helping her know Uh, how to be a godly wife and and that, that God has blessed her with a sensuality that's not evil in the right context that she is supposed to be sensual that fire is supposed to burn in fireplaces and so understanding that there's an encouragement there there's an encouragement there there's a protection there and she feels the freedom to and security to move forward in her With the marriage. Then in verse 5, we have the warning one more time. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. You don't stir up or awaken love until it pleases. There's a protection, there's an importance for us to not arouse or wake. That's the challenge, honestly, of this passage. My desire, by no means, is to stoke fires of curiosity in young people. Uh, if, but re, parents, you're naive to think that your kids haven't been exposed to far more than you realize in their conversations, in their interaction in their, uh, with other people, uh, the things they've seen uh, in, on the internet, television, commercials, wherever. But it's important for us to say, look, it's not evil and it's not bad. It just needs to be in the right context and in God's right timing. It's wonderful that God has gifted us, has blessed us with so many wonderful things, and, and we just need to wait for His perfect and right timing. That's the practical, literal truths that we can pull from this passage. When we think about the spiritual elements in your lives, God also does not want the thief to come into your life and to steal and to kill and to destroy and so Jesus has put before us a choice. He said, look, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. John 10.10, 10, we talked about that in life last uh, week and a half ago. But I have come that you might have life and you might have an abundant and meaningful, wonderful life. Jesus is saying, I have set before you a way. If you'll do things my way, whether I'm in, on the throne of your life or not, it doesn't really matter. You can have a great marriage. If you just will do it my way, you'll, put, you'll, be, you'll follow these principles, that'll be great. But even better, if I'm on the throne of your life, well, then it's going to be it's going to be really put even beyond that outside of the context of marriage. The thief wants to destroy your life. The most application because of the context, we're talking about marriage, we're talking about purity, we're talking about, but in all ways he wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy the fruitfulness of you passing your faith from generation to generation in your family and in other people that you're sharing the gospel with and discipling and pouring your life into. He wants to destroy all of those things. But Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and you might have an abundant life. Need a wonderful life. If you're here this morning and you have never repented of your sins and you've never trusted in Christ, and you're just trying to go along. You're trying to figure it out yourself. You're trying to do things on your own power, your own. Would you understand the thief, the fox, they, they are the lion that they will devour? It, the devil is far too smart. Your flesh is far too weak. The world is far too alluring. And so you, you can't risk those things. Run to Jesus. He will be the fence. He will protect you. He will be your sustainer. He'll give you the life and the meaning and the purpose that God has for you found in, in unconditional love that no human, no husband, no wife, no child will ever be able to bring you. Once you found that in Christ, now you're ready to love and serve others in a way that you could never do it apart from having gotten your need, your cup filled. All of us have a cup. We're trying to fill and until it's filled by Christ, in which he said, you'll get yours filled, and it will overflow and help other people. Until Christ fills our cup, we walk around selfishly trying to get people to fill our cup. Would you please fill my cup? Would you please fill my cup? I need you to fill my cup. Could you fill my cup? We're putting expectations on people. And if we've just come to Jesus, but I have given you everything you need. Just come close to me. Abide in me. Rest in me. So Try to fill it yourself. You're not going to be able to do it. I will fill your need. Have you repented of your sins and trusted Christ? haven't, yeah, this morning's a great time to do that. During the service, after the service, whatever. We're about to have a baptism in a couple minutes. And it's going to be a picture of two people who have uh, confessed their faith and trust in Christ, repented of their sins, they trust trusted Jesus. And because of that, the, the baptism is actually, just like my wedding bed, it's an external representation of the fact that Jen and I made a covenant together. Jesus wants to make a covenant with you. He wants to commit to you, to give you his righteousness, and he'll take your unrighteousness and your sin, and he's already crucified it, he's already killed it, he's already paid the penalty through your sin on the cross, and he will give you everything. He will become your group, he will become your protector, he will become your provider, ladies and men. He will give you salvation, and baptism is an external way of picturing the fact that Jesus laid down his life and died. Then he rose again in new life. And when we follow Christ, we, in the same way, we, Jesus commanded us to follow Him by picturing His life, death, burial, and resurrection. So we, we dunk people, we put them under water, and then we pull them out, picturing the death, burial, resurrection of Christ, and the fact that they are positionally in Christ. They're new people now. Father, I do thank you for the fact that you have given us everything we need. Father, we all, none of us have perfect hearts. None of us have been fully trusting and wise with the protections that we needed to have. God, we, we understand the world has destroyed. We live in a fallen, broken world with fallen, broken gardens. But you can restore. You've provided your righteousness. You've provided your hope for us. And so I pray this morning, God, that we would—everyone uh, here—would be repenting of whatever sin that you've addressed in their hearts and lives. God, that we would be making wise choices for next steps. God, help us bring it to light what next steps we need to take to build defenses that we need to, to have the right protections in our hearts. But more than anything, God, if there's anyone here that hasn't begun by first just surrendering their life to Jesus, I pray that you would that you do that this morning. Father, that all of us would, would be reminded, Lord, that you would be, that Jesus would really be the center of our lives, of our marriages, of our homes. In Jesus' name. Thank <laughs> you.